Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Esther Polito, your favorite Jersey girl. And this is the Baddest Broad podcast. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling inspired because of two things I'll share with you today. First, my relationship with tennis and sports. And second, I want to see the Barbie movie. <laughs> it was so good and so pink. Talk about a full circle moment. It's taken me a long time to embrace my own feminine power and feel comfortable in my body. And last night, I went to see the Barbie movie with some friends wearing a bright neon pink dress with white heart earrings. As silly as the premises of a movie about a toy doll, it perfectly captured what it is to be a woman living in a man's world. Because depending on who you ask, it's both joyful and downright exhausting. Being a girly girl is equated to being silly, dumb, and superficial. Thankfully, we're living in a time where we're finally shedding stereotypical gender norms and gender expressions, which to some folks is a clear sign that the end times are coming. But I, for one, I'm so happy we're finally here. I think that the more men and women try to cleave to strict standards of gender norms, the more suffering we endure. Years ago, I was talking to one of my friends, and she had observed that you're just a girly tomboy. And she's right. In one moment, I can talk about sports and another go shopping for new ballet flats. I'm never just one thing, masculine or feminine. Usually, I'm a bit of both, and that's okay. All my life, I've struggled to find a balance between being myself while trying to live up to the lofty ideals of womanhood and how to present myself to the world. Growing up, my bio mother would constantly chide me for not being ladylike enough. I'm using air quotes. It was the mid-90s in New Jersey, and our proximity to New York's hip-hop culture was in full effect. I was wearing oversized Tommy Hilfiger polos, baggy jeans, and Fila sneakers. I never wore makeup, and my hair was a long, tangled mess of black, unruly waves. As far back as I can remember, I had mostly guy friends. There's a photo of me hovering over a birthday cake with a big number two candle, and my friend Eric, who was a year older, seated next to me. Eric, along with Jeter, a young, and my young brother, Ezra, were my first group of friends growing up in the Philippines. That part of my childhood was magical. My grandmother, or Lola in Tagalog, helped take care of us while my dad worked for the telephone company. My bio mother had already emigrated to America as a nurse working on a visa. Back then, the only glimpse I had of young womanhood was when I got to sleep over at my cousin's house. My first cousins were all girls. They would dote on me, feed me snacks, and show off their various collections of perfumes, potions that were part of their extensive skincare routines. This all seemed fun and all, but altogether frivolous. At that age, I was more interested in playing Nintendo and roller skating 
kids back then were free range and we were let loose to play in the streets and come back at dinner time. It wasn't until second grade that I came to understand that depending on your gender, how you're treated in the world can be limiting and sometimes violent. I grew up religious. My parents met at Bible school and for a time were missionaries. So I was enrolled in a private Pentecostal school known for its excessive use of corporal punishment. Mind you, back then, corporal punishment was not only normal, it was encouraged by the school. Where the girls would be punished by being locked in the bathroom or forced to kneel on the floor covered with rice, the boys would be lined up in the courtyard and publicly beaten with bamboo. School back then was a hellish experience and I would escape into my imagination and daydream during class. My only saving grace was that Eric went to the same school, and we would ride together on a jeepney or walk back home during monsoon season when the streets would flood. We grew up being taught both Tagalog and English, and on most mornings, Eric would quiz me on my English vocabulary words. He would challenge me to spell words like beautiful, or treasure, and would giggle at how strange these words sounded. Then came a defining moment in my young athletic career. One day at PE, the boys were allowed to play basketball, and the girls were instructed to acquire a stick measuring a certain length, because we were to start learning how to twirl a baton for a school parade. I was mortified. I don't want to twirl a baton! I protested. I want to play a sport with a ball just like the boys do. At least let me play volleyball. At a time when other girls were starting to be concerned about their looks and sitting pristine in their uniforms in their respective cliques, there was me and my boys, usually covered in dirt, going on adventures, and climbing trees. By the time I was about seven or eight, there was some chatter about moving to America. During that time, the Philippines was still under strict rule of Marcos-era martial law, which is marked by plunder, repression, torture, and atrocity. As many as 3,257 were murdered, 35,000 tortured, and 70,000 illegally detained, according to the estimates by historian Alfred McCoy. Like any other parent, My parents wished for a better life for their kids and had to make the difficult decision of leaving our country. With the hopes of attaining freedom and liberty and all that came with the American dream, by the spring of 1992, I had to say goodbye to my friends and my family. And after a long flight, we landed in Belleville, New Jersey, right next to Newark. I know that For most of you listening, when you hear New Jersey, you think of the Sopranos or driving through the Turnpike or the Jersey Shore with its boardwalks, saltwater taffy, and buckets of little neck clams. Folks around the country revel in making jokes about how terrible they think New Jersey is and its people with their bad accents. But you know what? To this day, I'm a proud Jersey girl, and depending on my mood, if I'm tired or angry or hangry, 
I bet that accent comes back. I still habitually say quarter, water, and refer to pizza as a slice. The reason this podcast is called The Baddest Broad is because growing up in Jersey, I never aspired to be a lady. Back home, we'd say, I might not be a lady, but I'm no bitch. I'm a tough broad. And to me, my identity as a tough broad is the most powerful thing you can be. Anyway, I digress. So here I am, this skinny little wide-eyed kid, fresh off the boat, finding myself in a strange new land with people who talk too fast and use all kinds of slang terms I hadn't heard of before. But what was surprising during my first nine months arriving in the U.S. wasn't the language or the new food. It was the people. New Jersey happens to be one of the most diverse places in the U.S., so I found myself being warmly welcomed by my neighbors, who ironically were also first and second generation immigrants who were from every corner of the world. And they generously extended their friendship and hospitality to a 10-year-old girl trying to find her place. That summer, by sheer luck, I made my first friend who was across the street from us who happened to be a girl. Chisa was a tomboy and referred to herself as a mutt because her family was a mix of everything. She was olive-toned and brunette. And her older half-brother, David, was a tall, sweet African-American kid who would dutifully walk us to school. Her mom, Michelle, also brunette with an elegant build, took a liking to me because she also happened to be Filipino on her dad's side. Michelle was the most glamorous person I had met in real life. Every once in a while, I'd see her on her way to a party, and she'd be dressed in kitten heels and wrapped in a silver fox stole, getting into a yellow cab. And in my young, impressionable mind, I made a note that when I grow up, I get to wear shiny dresses and go to cool parties. I didn't know it back then, but that part of my style evolution would take a long time. Being a young adolescent is so awkward. I started to notice boys, but I didn't know how having a boyfriend actually worked. Boys were always my friends, and they either treated me like one of their sisters or one of the boys. By the time school started, it was an absolute revelation into American culture. I was happy because although I was shy and bookish, I already had one friend, Chisa who was gregarious and extroverted. She looked out for me and introduced me to her friends. There was an Italian girl who lived up the street whose name was, I think, Tina? There was a lot of Tinas and Tonys back then. Anyway, Tina would walk down the hill to meet up with us and we'd walk to school together like a little posse. What stood out to me about Tina was her older sisters had given her their hand-me-downs and she'd be dressed head-to-toe in a leather jacket, knee-high leather boots, with her dark hair all done up like Madonna on the MTV music videos. She looks so grown up and so cool. I, on the other hand, I only had my jumpsuits and one pair of acid-wash jeans, 
and whatever cheese they would lend me so that I could at least try to look cool. I remember our carefree walks. We'd laugh and sing the words the new Salt and Pepper song on my cassette tape, which clearly my parents didn't realize contained explicit lyrics. As we began fourth grade, I started my career as a teacher's pet. I was a curious child and always loved learning. And my fourth grade teacher was a young, energetic woman with an athletic build and a mop of curly blonde hair. I can't recall her name now, but she was probably the best fourth grade teacher you could ask for. She was patient, attentive, and most of all, loved sports like I did. Every once in a while, she treated her whole class to a game of softball at Branchbrook Park nearby. I knew baseball was a big deal in America, but I didn't know that girls had their own version of the game. Going to school in Belleville was actually fun compared to the strict religious private school we came from. Most of the kids were friendly, and during recess, the boys let me join in on a game of kickball or dodgeball, and I was delighted to join in. There was one boy, one of the Tonys, who I had a crush on. Tony was Irish with brownish-red hair and a chubby face with freckles. He was a natural leader, getting the kids to play games, and he would always make sure I got a turn at whatever game we were playing. My love for sports grew, along with my appreciation for boys. Sports became a shorthand for how to bond with guys. This was even more true for my dad, who was having a rough time acclimating to our new life. He was trying to find a full-time job, but being a short, brown, Asian who spoke broken English, he was faced with discrimination and racism. It wasn't until I was an adult that he shared the extent of his experience. My dad, after all, was a religious theologian, a student of the great thinkers and philosophers like Marcus Aurelius or Aristotle, which he pronounced as Aristotel. Sorry, Dad. My dad is a typical Filipino man from his generation. He was big into weightlifting because of Arnold, and he loved boxing. My dad would come home from a part-time job, and we'd watch sports. He would explain that his new co-workers were talking about the sport called football. And this new up-and-coming quarterback from the Green Bay Packers named Brett Favre. So in an effort to assimilate to American culture, he was learning all about football. And subconsciously, a little girl started to equate good American values with football and America's team, the Green Bay Packers. Later, this love would be solidified by another up-and-coming quarterback by the name of Aaron Rodgers. <sighs> Miss you, Aaron. Needless to say, by now I was comfortable being a tomboy who loves sports. But I hadn't been very good at sports. I was just happy to be included. Finding a sport I was good at would come later around middle school. By fifth grade, we had moved out of Belleville to the green suburbs of Precipitine, New Jersey. My parents had gone through a bitter divorce, and it was decided that my brother and I would now live with our mother while my dad stayed behind in Belleville. Yeah, so, my bio mother, 
I refer to her as that because, well, we never really bonded like most mothers and their child. My maternal grandmother, my Lola, helped raise us, and she was practically an angel walking around in human form. My Lola was the matriarch of our family. She looked after us, cooked for us, and comforted us in her lap when we were sad. What's funny is, because we're Asian, I never heard my Lola say words like, I love you. But through her actions, she always demonstrated what unconditional love is. I love my Lola. And she, for all intents and purposes, was my mother. My bio mother, on the other hand, resented having to be a caretaker, which is ironic because she was a nurse. Don't get me wrong. She was an excellent nurse, loved by her colleagues and patients. She was a great provider, but I don't think she was set up to be a good parent. This woman made me feel like whatever I was or trying to be was wrong. She was very critical of me and favored my brother. Maybe it was the stress of being a nurse or the pressure or being the one who had to lift the whole family out of poverty, but the six or seven years we were in her house was extremely difficult. She subjected us to years of neglect and abuse, which I won't go into right now. Because of that, I don't have a relationship with her. But I will say that in life, you have to take the good and leave the bad. And if nothing else, I know I'm beautiful because I look like her and people would admire her for her beauty. I have an incredible work ethic because I watched her work those long hours. She's quick-witted and funny with an easy laugh. But she could also be cruel. And she exercised that kind of cruelty against me, my siblings, and my dad. It's scary to know that because of her, I can shoot someone down the glare and tear someone to pieces with my words. She was vicious. She's an example of a female using her power through cruelty and manipulation. And I never wanted to be like her. But I also believe that the universe is always conspiring in your favor, which brings me to middle school. At that age, you got to choose from all kinds of different sports. There was track, soccer, basketball, field hockey, and tennis. I was too slow to run track. I was too short and slow to play basketball, although I was one of the managers for our high school team junior and senior year. Field hockey was a non-starter because running around, wearing a tartan skirt while girls were hitting your shins with a stick was out of the question. And so with the support of my dad, I picked up tennis. And it is the sport that finally made me an athlete. Once I showed interest in the sport, they got me a tennis racket, and we began trying to learn all about the game. Tennis is a beautiful game, one you can grow old with. It only requires a couple tennis balls and a racket. We got these black and white VHS tapes from the library that instructed you on how to play beginner's tennis. And I also watched Venus Williams come up on the scene and become pro. And we played on these old gravel courts in Newark, and I think they were supposed to be like clay courts, but they weren't that great. My life outside of our house consisted of going to a Filipino church and hanging out with my church friends. 
And that group was made up of Jade, aka FOMO, our shared nickname, and his siblings and cousins usually hanging out at his house. Then there was my school friends, who eventually became my best friends. There was Kitty, Julie, Maggie, and later Rajavi, and they all played tennis. So we hung out, played tennis, and we usually ended up hanging out at Maggie's house. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Maggie's mom, Elizabeth, who I lovingly call Mummy. She is a fierce Eastern European woman from Poland, tough on the outside and gooey and sentimental on the inside. She's cooked for me, sheltered me, and even took me to Europe for the first time. I owe her a debt of gratitude for taking care of me during those hard times. And what's funny is, as you get older, you start turning into your parents. And on my recent trip home, we were sitting outside in the middle of a conversation. Mummy looks at me and says, I like you like this. And I laughed. And I told her, you like it because I remind you of you. But again, I digress. At this point, I started to master tennis and got pretty good. So good that by junior year in high school, during PE, while the rest of the class was shooting bows and arrows trying to learn archery by themselves, my PE teacher would challenge me to a game of tennis, and we'd spend the whole period playing tennis. Tennis became the one thing I was really good at. And to this day, it's when I feel the most powerful when I'm typically wearing a t-shirt, my fuchsia Nike skirt, and sneakers, hitting my signature double backhand across court, barely clipping the line so that my opponent doesn't stand a chance. And I'd be standing there with a big old smile on my face. So I'll ask you listeners, and especially women out there, what makes you feel powerful? Because it's different for everyone, and you have the right to express yourself any way you want. Femininity shouldn't be limited to women's dresses. It can also be an oversized hot pink Valentino suit. Men can also embrace their feminine energy. I mean, have you seen Harry Styles and Lois Hamilton wearing strings of pearls? They look amazing. And no one is questioning their masculinity. And for me, I've arrived at a point where I'll do what I want, and I'll wear whatever I want. As I grew into my curvy body, I've come to appreciate it even more. Listen, women are supposed to have fat. A little cellulite and some stretch marks isn't going to kill you. So stop obsessing over it. I know that in my work life, trying to fit in with the guys and suppressing my feminine side has made me feel stifled and depressed. And I know that many of you out there feel like you have no power or have lost some of it and are desperately trying to get it back. I encourage you to do everything you can to prioritize yourself, love yourself, and take care of yourself. You'll be surprised how slowly but surely those pieces of yourself will come back. Because now that I've embraced my journey into womanhood, I can go out in the world and feel free to be my true self. I don't feel weak or less than 
just because I happen to be wearing a bright pink dress. If anything, I'm grateful that women have changed that narrative and owned their power and are now celebrating hyper-feminine expressions of themselves. It's our time. And I, for one, am here for it. Thank you for listening and hanging out with me. I am proud of you, wherever you are on your journey. And we both know you're well on your way to becoming your baddest self. Until next time.